Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, January 12th, we are studying Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus speaks for the first time in the gospel according to Mark. The Lord's preaching is clear and direct. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks so much for having me. As we get started this morning, Pastor Goodman, let's talk a little bit of context. We're working our way through Mark chapter one, slowly but surely. What have we seen so far in Mark's gospel that we need to know going into this text? What do we need to know about the gospel as a whole that will help us into these two verses? All right, so Mark jumps right in, uh, as you'll remember, just with uh, the, the ministry of, of John the Baptist. We don't actually get the, the nativity narrative in this because it is just a, a bum rush to the cross of Christ. And so we start right with uh, Jesus' ministry. Uh, he was just baptized, and um, immediately uh, the, the heavens were ripped open. There's, there's so much uh, force. There's just uh, it, it's almost like... Uh, it's almost like too much caffeine in the gospel, uh, where everybody's just powering on through. Um, and then Jesus was uh, thrown out into the wilderness to be tempted, and now he is back. And we're picking up at verse 14. All right. So just jump right in with St. Mark, Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the text for today. Mark 1, 14 and 15. So Pastor Goodman, as you said, Mark just jumps right in to the account as a whole in his gospel. And he does so here again. There's some backstory that we probably need to remember here. John was arrested. What What's going on? Mark hasn't said anything about John being arrested so far. Right. Uh, Mark kind of assumes that you already know the story. Uh, uh, I don't think he's just intentionally a bad storyteller so much as that he's, he's picking up on and, and, and preaching on uh, that which the people already know. This, this might be another indication that uh, the Gospel of Mark might not be as early of a document as, as a lot of people tend to think. So many people think that Mark is bare bones and it just it hasn't had time to develop. Uh, I kind of tend to, to hold to the opinion that Mark actually probably came much later than uh, than Matthew and then Luke, uh, primarily because he's he's focusing in, he's narrowing down, uh, he, he's he's cutting right to the points that that matter, and so yeah, he he sort of passes over uh, the story of how it is that that John was arrested. But if you'll you'll sort of go back to what you know from uh, Matthew and Luke. Uh, John the Baptist uh, preached uh, against the the action of of Herod, who uh, who took his uh, his his brother-in-law's uh, or took uh, his brother-in-law's yes i believe herodias to be his his wife uh, clearly against the scriptures against the, the commandment and uh, herodias was uh was incensed against this and and pleaded with herod to arrest john and throw him in prison uh john though was at least a little bit willing to lend an ear to the prophet uh as he kept him in prison uh, alive for for quite some time until uh the unfortunate beheading demise martyrdom of, of John. For now, though, uh, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. <laughs> hmm. So, I mean, we, we know from Mark's gospel and, and from the gospels as a whole that John is the one who is preparing Jesus' way. We get that Isaiah 40 quote at the very beginning of this gospel. And so maybe even with this, although Mark does leave out all that backstory that he just gave us, the fact that John is arrested as probably at least a little bit of a hint as to where the narrative is going in terms of what's going to happen to Jesus. If John, the guy who prepares the way for Jesus, gets arrested, and as we'll find out a few chapters down the road, he's going to be beheaded, that's already starting to tell us, again, more of what Mark's already been revealing, that Jesus is the one who comes to suffer and ultimately die in our place. 
Absolutely. This is the suffering servant. And so to prepare the way uh, of the suffering servant is to suffer. And for that matter, to follow in his, in his tread is, is also to suffer. Uh, he, he tells the, the disciples, uh, I believe after the feeding of the 5,000, uh, of what's going to happen to him. And so many depart. And, and he wonders, are, are you going to leave too? Because this is what it is. Uh, and in the same way, preachers today, uh, we're, I don't know if it's a, a purely a coincidence for an ordination. Uh, we, we put red stoles on guys, so the same color as we, we remember for the martyrs. Uh, to, to be near the cross is, is to be near suffering. It's just as, the, as a Christian, we actually recognize the ministry of John to, to be true, that uh, in the cross is where uh, everything is, is, the rough places are made a plain. In, in the cross of Christ is where this suffering is no longer considered an evil thing or, or a bad thing, but actually uh, the place where God is, is uh, bringing to fulfillment all of the promises that he's made through the prophets thus far, that, that he would uh, bring about his, his new creation by forgiving sins, by, by putting to death old Adam, and uh, by beginning uh, the, the path towards the resurrection. So John is preparing the way, even here in his arrest. John is arrested, and that's the signal for the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus goes to a specific place. It says Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Talk first about the place that Jesus chooses to begin his ministry. Right. We uh, we kind of talked about this just uh, briefly before we got recording, that, that uh, Herod Antipas was the ruler of Galilee, collect, uh, correct? I think so. Yes. Uh, so, so he he Jesus comes into the kingdom of the guy who just arrested John for preaching the gospel and begins to preach the gospel. Uh, Jesus starts throwing rocks at uh, Herod's window. Uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily intentionally that that he's just trying to provoke the man, uh, but I think that uh, this is something actually joyous that the word of God cannot be contained even by earthly and evil kings, uh, that if, if the, the rulers of this world were to, to silence the preachers of the gospel, the stones would cry out, that if, if the rulers of the world were, were to, to arrest a preacher, another one would pop up. The word of God is to be preached. This is the appointed time for it. And so you, you cannot contain the Holy Spirit, that, that uh, as Jesus moves in to, to preach at the very place where John was arrested, I, I think has to, to bring some joy, especially uh, as more and more Christians uh, in the last few years have begun to, to sort of question the, the direction of, of where things are headed in our country, uh, the, the freedoms which we have maybe just taken for granted for so long. Uh, this, this is a, a joy to us to, to see that the word of God cannot be contained that, that uh, he will make sure that it is preached, even in the face of those who would have it silenced. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the apostles in the book of Acts after they get, they get arrested for preaching the name of Jesus and they get, it's not really a trial, but they're, they're questioned, they're reprimanded for preaching the name of Jesus. And then what do they do? They, they go right back to the place where they were arrested previously and they start preaching that which got them arrested previously. And it's not all that different here with Jesus. It, and it, it is Luke, Luke does tell us that Herod Antipas is the Tetrarch there in Galilee and he is the one that arrests John. And so, yeah, Jesus goes right into the territory of the one who's just arrested his forerunner and who will later kill his forerunner and he starts to proclaim the gospel. And and as you said, what a comfort that really is that the word of God can be preached and should be preached in season and out of season. And and all the more we we looked at the pastoral epistles not that long ago here on Sharper Iron and and that text comes up and all the more that the word needs to be preached out of season in those moments when those would those who would persecute us would seek to silence us. How much more than do we need to proclaim that gospel at that very moment? Absolutely. And uh, the, the focus on the preaching here and in John's ministry, I, I think, is, is just sort of, again, a, a doubling down on that which uh, must be done. Uh, everybody sort of focuses in on uh, the miracles of Jesus, but he's about the word right now. Uh, and for that matter, uh, there, there's, there's 
Well, my one of my pastors once told me that that John the Baptist performed miracles, and I, I hemmed and hawed at it because uh, I, I couldn't find it inside of the scriptures where he ever walked on water or healed the sick. I was like, show me in scripture, and I, I was eventually taught the the distinction uh, between the immediate and the immediate call, which is kind of in the weeds, but it, it's how God wants you to know that the guy preaching is someone you should listen to. For for you and for me, we are immediately called. We are called through means, which means I don't need miracles to tell you to listen to me. The church says you should listen to him. I know he's a sinner and I know he he's a, an odd duck, but he's my odd duck and I want to talk through him. So, so when he puts on that stole, listen to him. He is called immediately through means. John was appointed immediately apart from means, just like the prophets. The, the prophets, one of the things that, that was given to them so that people would know that this is somebody to listen to, they perform miracles. Uh, the gospel of John tells us many other things were done but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So there are other things going on. Uh, but all of this is to point to the fact that, that Christ is Lord. There were a lot of people running out to see John, and I don't think it was just because he dressed weird. But the thing that matters is what he was proclaiming. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand, which is the very same thing that Jesus grabs hold of and continues because it's the same word, it's the same gospel. Uh, in days like today, uh, we, we can rejoice in the fact that the word is paramount, that we don't have to measure the numbers, we don't have to measure the signs, we are given the word of God that cannot be silenced. And so as long as this word of God is to be proclaimed, and we know that it is to be proclaimed because God spoke and he said, I want it to be proclaimed, and you won't have to worry about it not being proclaimed until the last day when I'll take it back over from you. But, but for right now, just everybody breathe easy, because even in the face of all of these things, the word of God is proclaimed. And it is striking that this is how Jesus is introduced here as a preacher already. We, we made note of this when we were introducing the gospel as a whole in the first episode of this series, that Mark often does focus on the miracles of Jesus, the deeds of Jesus. It's not that his word is absent by any means, but when you look in terms of the space that each occupies, Mark certainly records a lot of what Jesus does and not as much of what Jesus says, particularly when we put him next to Matthew, who's got these long discourses, or Luke, who records a lot of Jesus' parables. Mark just doesn't do that. And yet at the outset of Jesus' ministry, Jesus comes as a preacher. He comes as a proclaimer. He comes as a, a good newser, if I can use, or gospelizer, if we can make those into to ver nouns, verbs into nouns. And, you know, I mean, that's how Jesus comes as one who proclaims the good news, who proclaims the gospel of God. And Mark gives us the opening sermon of Jesus here. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about, Pastor Goodman. So let's, let's take it piece by piece. The time is fulfilled. What is Jesus preaching? Uh, he's preaching himself. The, the time is fulfilled. This is not simply uh, the prophets uh, are all pointing to the son of God who would be incarnate, the virgin who would give birth to a son from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he, he's, he's saying the time is fulfilled in, in a broader sense. Uh, even though Jesus isn't yet crucified, it is it is finished. It, it, is, it is fulfilled. Uh, it, even though the last day has not come yet, uh, the time is, is fulfilled. Time is fulfilled. Uh, it's because we don't mark Jesus in terms of time. We might time in terms of Jesus. We, we, we don't deal with this in, in terms of, of, of waiting because God doesn't either. That means that while we're stuck in the middle, yes, we, we pray, come Lord Jesus. But at the same time, even as we pray, come Lord Jesus, we mark his words to be true. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So when we look then uh, only to the past and only to the future, we miss out on the, the reality that, that the time is, is fulfilled now, that, that uh, this is a perfect tense, that, that it started back in the past and it is still going on. In other words, if Jesus was born 2,000 years ago and we missed the show uh, because we, we came too late, and Jesus will come again someday soon, but it's, it's not here yet, uh, it sort of puts our whole religion out of reach. Have you ever noticed that we, we only end up sort of reminiscing about what was or looking forward to, to what might be in, in uh, the resurrection? It leaves us utterly without Jesus now. But he says the time is fulfilled. That, that means right now, 
we can find our Lord at work. We, we can actually find uh, God active to fulfill all things now. And where we look for this is where he's promised to be. And this actually unites us to the kingdom of God being at hand. Uh, it starts to shift the, the, the vocabulary from when into where. And here it gives us a lot more to talk about uh, and, and find uh, God at work, uh, chiefly in his church. Uh, this is where we're going to spend uh, all our time in a, a, a one-sentence sermon, which uh, might maybe give preachers a, a something to consider as far as uh, how efficient they are with their words. But uh, <laughs> in this, uh, this one little sentence, he, he, he just gives us so much to ponder uh, because we can start to, to recognize that our religion is not simply looking back and then looking forward, but it's finding God here now because of everything that was promised and put into action, everything that was fulfilled and everything that will ultimately come to completion on the last day, we can we can actually look in specific places to find it working now. And, and so as we start to shift into this, uh, this, this whole sentence, uh, it, it, it's parroted throughout the rest of the scriptures. Uh, and it, it starts to point us to where we can find God at work now. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, it is something that has to be addressed when we talk about the time is fulfilled. These aren't two separate statements. Uh, it, it, there, there's an and, there, there's, a, um, there's a chi. Uh, these, these are joined together. The, the time is fulfilled because the kingdom of God is at hand. If the kingdom of God were not at hand, the time would not be fulfilled. Well, let's, let's try to, uh, so it's gonna be hard to, to talk about them separately. So right. let's, so we've got the time is at hand. And, and if I'm following you there, the time is at hand is something that Jesus preaches at this moment because he's here, yeah. even though there's still other things to come that he's going to do because he's here at this moment preaching. The time is fulfilled. Not all that different from what we looked at yesterday in verse nine of Mark one. Mark says in those days, and we made the connection to how the prophets use that to describe the coming of the Christ. And so because Jesus is being baptized, well, even though Jesus isn't preaching at that moment, Jesus could have preached at that moment and said, the time is fulfilled because he's being baptized at that moment. Or he could have preached at his temptation, the time is fulfilled. And he preaches at the beginning of his ministry, the time is fulfilled. And, and he can preach at any number of moments when he's active doing something, which I think that's going to be the connection to the kingdom of God. Anytime Jesus is active doing something, Jesus can preach, and those who now follow and are called by him through the church, they too can preach the time is fulfilled because Jesus is active doing something. Is that is that where we're going with this? Absolutely. Uh, everything has to do with the fact that, that uh, God's actions are not bound to time in the same way that our actions are bound to time. And so uh, Ephesians and Revelation both tell us that before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. That, that we were sealed into the book of the life before the foundation of the world. But as, as Christ enters his creation, uh, he, he binds himself to this place. Uh, and, and he binds himself to its, its sin that he might bind us, its, its sinners, to his resurrection. Uh, everything then circles around this moment. Uh, all time circles around the cross of Christ. All time circles around the cross of Christ. And so when we start to see Christ entering into his ministry, uh, this is again where Mark might not have the, the long parables, but but it, it just rushes right to the cross. It shows you what this time is. Uh, that that is our, our Lord comes into this world. It's not just to heal like 20 people and then talk for a while. It, it is to bear the cross for sinners, to rise from the dead. And, and insofar as he has then worked our salvation in this moment, uh, the time is fulfilled, which is also why uh, we can say the kingdom of God is at hand, even though it's not the last day. And our Lord can tell us to believe in a gospel, the good news that Christ is risen, even though he hasn't even been crucified yet. It, it's it's yeah. all Christ at work. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it, so, okay, this is, uh, this is really big. It wrinkles <laughs> your brain. Is, it really does. It, it really does. So that, I mean, well, Paul then can come and preach as, as you were, I think it's, a, it's in second Corinthians six after he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. He, he says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, I mean, Paul is, is speaking to the Corinthians there. Oh, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 years after Jesus has died and risen and ascended. And yet he tells them 
I mean, essentially the same thing. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand to those Corinthians because the ministry of reconciliation is being preached among them. The good news that Christ became sin for them so that they would become the righteousness of God because that's being preached to them. The day for them of salvation is, is right then. I mean, it's, it's a constant, Oh, doesn't the writer of the Hebrews do this too? He talks about how, how big of a deal it is that today is the day. I mean, uh, I think we could trace that in other places in the scriptures as well. I would put it all the way back to the fall. Um, there, there was a place where God had to create time before he would create us. And so this is why when we start to conceive of time, uh, it, it gets us all uh, mind boggled. Uh, but the, the reality is after the fall, we've had problems with time. Like from the get-go, we've had problems with waiting so much so that uh, Eve's firstborn son, she is convinced, I have gotten a son, the Lord. She, she thinks Cain is going to be the guy. Uh, and ever since then, we, we struggle with this idea of waiting. Uh, the psalmists cry out over and over again, how long, O Lord? The, the shift here uh, in talking about this that you see in Paul, that you see in the writer of the Hebrews, that you see in, in Jesus' own words right now, it's a gift in that it lets us stop looking at when, because we're really bad at when. And it lets us start looking at who and where. Who is your God? Where has he promised to work? So that when I can't measure time the right way because I am fallen into sin and I struggle with it deeply, I can point to the places where God is at working and I can say today, right now, right here, I know my God is at work here and I don't have to wait for something and struggle with waiting because I'm very deeply impatient. The the disciples in Acts chapter one, don't they ask when, Lord, is, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus redirects them. In Absolutely. Acts chapter one. And he right. says, no, no, All right, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But then he, he points them to the Holy Spirit coming and their proclamation of the good news. They've, they're thinking about the when and Jesus is thinking about the where, where will the gospel be proclaimed? And ultimately it's, it's to the end of the earth. So Pastor Goodman would tie some of those things together for us today in, in the 20, in 2021, it's a new year. How, where, where is the where for us? Nowhere to go but up. Um, so for us, it, it's the same place that it was in 2020. Uh, 2020 was, was the, the meme of all years. But at the same time, God's word was proclaimed. God's gifts were still valid. Some of them might have been harder to get to in the midst of a pandemic. But at the same time, you are still baptized. And here we can actually start to see uh, this, this baptismal formula uh, put into reality. So uh, I'll maybe contrast Mark 1.15 and Romans 3.12 as a whole, and, and you can start to see these things happen. Uh, Mark 1.15, the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Romans 3.12 would say, the night is far gone. The day is drawn near. Mark 1 would, would go, repent and believe in the gospel. Romans 3 would say, let us put off the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. Romans is, is a it's an epistle to a people who are struggling. Uh, and what, what we simply say is, look, the, the time of, of, of measuring the night and waiting for the end and, and marking things by how well things are going, how dark is the night, how long is the pen, don't stop looking at that stuff. Look to where God is. The day has drawn near. The light has come and darkness cannot overcome it. So instead, be baptized. Let, let old Adam daily drown. Let new man daily arise to, to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And so this year, uh, it, the same as last year, look to where the kingdom of God is being preached. Look to where the sacraments are being administered. And then you can start stop questioning the, the how much longer until we get there, like children on a road trip for too long. It, it's just, it's not a helpful question. Instead, we have to redirect, uh, not because uh, we're, we're trying to hide from the reality of, of a painful year, uh, but because we don't measure by the pain. We don't measure by the time. We measure by the Lord. And the Lord is present where his word is preached and his sacraments administered. Yeah, this, this time is fulfilled, sets us free to look at the where. Where is God active? Where is his son bringing his gifts, the gifts of salvation that he has earned by his suffering, the suffering that John preceded him in, the suffering that he went through. Where is that happening? And that is the time being fulfilled for us today. That's what Jesus is preaching here at the beginning of Mark chapter one. We're going to go ahead and take our break here on Sharper Iron. You're listening to us on Worldwide KFU. We'll be right back. Please stick around. 
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, January 12th. We're looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus' opening sermon here in the Gospel of Mark. We've got Pastor Harrison Goodman with us. He serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we were talking about the time being fulfilled and how in this preaching that we see throughout the scriptures, we're set free from constantly looking at the when and instead looking for the where. Where is God active? And perhaps as we continue then with the kingdom of God is at hand, we could also say that it's not just about the where, but it's about the who. Who is active as king for us? So take us into this beautiful proclamation Jesus gives us, the kingdom of God is at hand. Right. So so Jesus connects the time being fulfilled to the where of the kingdom of God. And to be at hand, that, that means it's here. It's, you can reach out and grab it. The kingdom of God is so close that you can you can poke it. You can you can touch it. And the kingdom of God is simply where the king rules, where the king is active with authority. And so if the kingdom of God is at hand, that means the king is here to rule with an authoritative uh well, action. It's, it's not only the, the words that are recognized as uh, by the crowds as Jesus who preaches with authority, uh, but, but he has authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over death itself as he destroys it. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. And again, as we, we start to, to watch this thing being directed into to a where and to, to a who, uh, to a whom, uh, we, we can see where to look for God today as well. Uh, our catechism helps us with this because this is actually part of our uh, Lord's Prayer. Uh, We pray, thy kingdom come. And Luther would have us recognize that the kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come to us also, and that God's kingdom comes when our heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, so that by his grace, we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. See, the kingdom of God is not a cloud. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is. Heaven is not a cloud. Heaven is wherever Jesus is. When we, when we look to then our Lord, who is active in, in his word, again, we are sort of directed away from the way that the world would measure by miracle, by power, by might. And instead, we see the proclamation of Christ and him crucified. Uh, we see the fulfillment of the word of the prophet in him who bore the cross and rose again from, from dead. And we see this same word active uh, where God's word is preached and his sacraments are administered. It, it lets us, again, stop looking ahead to the kingdom of God because it seems so far out of reach during uh, hard times. It seems so far out of reach while we live in a fallen world. But Luther would reassure us that uh, the kingdom of God is actually supposed to be in a fallen world because the king would not stand back from the fallen world. If our Lord is willing to enter a, a creation bound by sin so that he could set it free from bondage, That means that even in this world, we don't simply have to say God's kingdom will finally show up when everybody gets their act together and believes, or God's kingdom will finally show up when we uh, make the right political decisions in uh, the nation of Israel, or, or God's kingdom will show up if we finally all behave a certain way. Rather, Christ was born. He entered into creation. God became man. There was an incarnation, and here the kingdom of God was brought to earth so that he could not simply, again, deal with, you know, 50, 60 people that that were given an account of, but rather uh, win salvation for you, for me, for all, because God's kingdom is still being proclaimed. It is being manifested by the very same words that our Lord proclaimed here. Uh, The kingdom of God isn't what it looks like. It isn't measured in in time. It's where God's word is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. And again, this this will even connect us with uh, the rest of of Jesus' very efficient sermon. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
That's right. I mean, it's, it is such a, a beautifully efficient sermon that he preaches here. The The kingdom of God is at hand. This proclamation of the kingdom of God is one that we see elsewhere in scripture. I'm reminded of some of those Advent texts that we just got done looking at. Isaiah 52 comes to mind where the proclamation of the messenger with good with beautiful feet, is that your God reigns. Your God is king. And I I bring that text up particularly because I think, and, and maybe this is just me, but when I hear the word kingdom, that English word, my mind goes to medieval pictures. I'm, I'm yeah. picturing a castle and knights and those types of things. And that's not the picture that I think Jesus wants me to have in my mind with kingdom. And, and I think you you this really, the reason we, your God reigns is so helpful is because it centers the kingdom, not on a, you know, a castle or a particular location. And again, the, the where is important, but the where is important because of who is there in order for the kingdom to be present. The king has to be present. And, and that's really, I mean, that's, that's a huge point to make as you're bringing up with the second petition. And just in general is whenever we hear this term in English, the kingdom of God, we need to be thinking, okay, where is God reigning as king and what is he doing in that reign? What kind of king is he? And when we are, we're asking those questions and looking for those answers, we're, we're going in the right direction. Absolutely. And, and this is actually where uh, the word of God actually needs to, to norm our understanding, not just because he, he talked about this before knights and, uh, and jousting, uh, but because, well, when I think of a kingdom, I want a king who rules by the law every time. I want a king whose his, whose reign and rule is measured in might and power. Uh, and so I, I want a king that's going to come and stomp everybody that makes me mad. Uh, but rather, I can find God's reign and rule active today, even under uh, tyranny and oppression in some parts of the world, because God's kingdom reigns chiefly through the gospel. There is forgiveness of sins, not only being proclaimed, but but provided, delivered, uh, given for you. And so the kingdom is is here because God's will is being done. His his rule and reign are established uh, because his church is here forgiving sinners. It's not simply here to work by the law, but it is here chiefly to work by the gospel. Uh, God's God's kingdom is established not so that he can uh, ride into Jerusalem on a war horse and and uh, beat up Pilate, but he 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 rode into Jerusalem on a donkey so that he could bear the cross underneath him to forgive him. This is where God's uh, power and authority are are established because this is not about taking but about giving. This is not about the law, but it is about the gospel. Mm. The the talk of kings reigning. I think we could connect that to some of the way that the scripture speaks of a master having servants. And and the question is, well, we like to think we're free, but the reality is we all have a master. The question is, what kind of master do you have? We all have a king. The question is, what kind of king do you have? And I think you're exactly right that we, of our, of our sinful nature, we would look for a king who reigns by the law. You know, we want a king to, to stomp out the people we don't like. That's not all that far of a difference from the way the people of Israel asked for a king under Samuel and, and they got Saul. And that, that, wasn't, that didn't turn out so well for them. God comes as a different sort of king. He, he reigns as a different sort of king. One is you said, I mean, and that's, and that's why we start the season of Advent the way we do with Palm Sunday. He's the king who rides into Jerusalem coming to die. And, and that's what, that's what Mark is giving us here all along, just in these first 15 verses that we've looked at in his gospel. He's coming as one who comes to die. That's the kind of kingdom he's coming to bring. He's been baptized so far in Mark's gospel. He came to carry our sins. He's been tempted. He's defeating the, the enemy that, that we couldn't. And now here he is following John in preaching, preaching that's going to get Jesus arrested and convicted and crucified. That's the kind of king we have. One, one who, not, who reigns not for himself, but reigns for us sinners to bring us life and salvation. And he proclaims it along the way, which is necessary uh, because when we are scared, we tend to just grip down tighter on the things that we think will save us, our, our idols, our, our law. Uh, and so in a world then uh, where we can sort of uh, tongue in cheek uh, laugh at uh, the scribes who wanted only an earthly king and expected Jesus to, to be only this. And we think we know better because he was he was born uh, uh, in a manger. He he rode in on a donkey. He is not an earthly king, but a heavenly one. But then 
most of our prayers are about political office and uh, earthly power. Uh, we, we every bit as much want an earthly king because we're afraid. Because fear makes us grip down tighter on the law. And so he, he, he pries the law out of our hands and he instead gives us the gospel. He gives us repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, repent. Uh, in other words, consider how the law is actually treating you. It's killing you. And believe in the gospel. And here we, we can, again, have a, a gift given to us by a, a God who does not simply want to deal with us in terms of power, but chiefly in terms of mercy. If, if there is the forgiveness of sins being proclaimed in this world, relax, because God's kingdom is, is doing just fine, no matter how it looks by the world standards. Hmm. This is, I mean, that is, that is good news in a time like this, that God is reigning as king over the 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 election season that we just came through i suppose we're going to be entering into a new one any day now i i was constantly reminded of particularly the ascension of our lord that that he reigns that he sits at the right hand of the throne of god the fact that jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of god ought to be a great comfort to us as Christians in these days that we are tempted to to look for the goodness of an earthly king and this is not to say that god does not work through earthly rulers. We, he most certainly does. The, the good of our neighbors is an important thing in consideration of earthly authority and earthly government. We should care about these things as Christians, but we should never lose sight of the fact that the reign of God is here, that God does rule for us in the way of the gospel in the church and to keep our hope and our trust in the right place in these troubling times. Absolutely. Because after all, it, it's the earthly uh, rulers that, that should serve the ability for the heavenly king to be proclaimed. It, it's not that the heavenly king should serve having good earthly rulers. Uh, we, we have to keep who's in charge in, in line here. Uh, the, the earthly always serves the, the heavenly king. So, Pastor Goodman, take us into the, the final part of Jesus' sermon, repent and believe in the gospel. You've already started to mention both, because you said this is just a one-sentence sermon. Jesus is, is quite concise and very, it uses his words exactly. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, those are those are very uh, churchy words, if I can say it that way. Sometimes we throw around words like repent and believe and gospel, and we don't always take the time to define them and to understand them as they're being used. So help us do that here. Let's start with the word repent. Right. Uh, let's let's grab repent and gospel because both of these at the same time, uh, they have both a wide and a narrow use. Uh, and, and so we can talk about them and sometimes mean different things. And so, for example, uh, with, with the gospel, which might be the more common, which will help us understand the word repent, uh, there is the wide use of the gospel. Uh, so like the gospel according to St. Mark that we are in right now, which contains both law and gospel. Uh, it, it's it's the, the whole wide teaching of Christ. The narrow use of the gospel would be the good news, correct? Yes, that's right. So, simply that, that Christ uh, has taken away your sins apart from anything that you can do. He has died and risen from the dead. You are his child uh, solely by the gift of, of water and spirit in your baptism. Uh, you have nothing to contribute here but your sin, but God has taken it all away. Your sins are forgiven you. You are a child of God, holy and worthy of love. The gospel, the good news in the narrow sense. In the same way, repentance uh, has a wide and a narrow use. Uh, and we, we tend to get them really confused all the time. Uh, and it, it, it makes us fight over things that probably need not be fought about. Uh, so in the same way, repentance in, in uh, the, the narrow sense uh, is a law word. Uh, hear the word of God, uh, specifically his law, and, well, believe it. Uh, the, when, when we are exposed to God's law, it will produce in us contrition. Not perfectly because we're sinners, but uh, it, it, it will uh, because this is what God's word does. In the narrow sense, uh, repentance is a, is a law word. Uh, you are not fulfilling God's commandments. This is bad. Uh, and in the wide sense, uh, repentance has two parts, both contrition and hope. So uh, if when we are exposed to God's law, it produces in us contrition. When we are exposed to God's gospel, it produces in us hope, uh, faith, Belief, and again, not perfectly because we are sinners, but at the same time, we don't need to measure how sorry we are to consider whether or not we are repentant in the same way that we don't need to consider how afraid we are or how nervous we are or, or how full of, of doubt we are. We simply trust God's word and say, his baptism is enough to name me his child. This is, this is the fulfillment. I would not rather have a measurement of my faith 
I would much rather measure my Lord who is risen from, from death. And so when we are given then, repent and believe in the gospel, uh, we are given, uh, hear God's law and believe it. It's not going so well for you. Hear God's gospel and believe it. Your sins are forgiven you. So just to, to make sure we're, we're clarifying this, you said repentance and faith. Well, no, sorry. Repentance and gospel, those are the two words we're talking about. Mm-hmm. They both have the narrow use and the wide use. Which is Jesus using here? These are both the narrow uses uh, because they are put side by side. Uh, our, our, um, I, I believe it's, it's our um, formula of Concord that would actually specifically say that uh, this this uh, verse is, is a, a narrow use of uh, the word repent. Uh, because we, we recognize here that, uh, well, the belief of the gospel is what we're turned to. Uh, in other words, the, the, the hope for Christians is not that we are repentant enough, but that we believe the gospel. The comfort for Christians is not that we are repentant enough, but that Christ is risen from the dead. It actually, again, helps us separate uh, the, the law from the gospel. Both of these are the narrow use. And so repent here is a law word and believe in the gospel is a, well, narrow use of the gospel, good news word. And that's good because that means then I don't need to start to look for comfort in something the law is doing to me because the law will never actually comfort you. If you're ever comforted by the law, you're not looking at the real law or you're not looking at the real you because uh, something's not right here. The law cannot comfort. It, can, it, it, it cannot. And in the same way, the gospel cannot convict you. It, it cannot uh, produce in you uh, a, a, a contrition. It, it can only produce hope. Uh, the, the gospel is the good news, not the, the sort of like guilt trip. Uh, and the law, is, it is the putting to death of the old Adam. It is not the the ladder you climb to salvation. So we've got two narrow uses here: repent in a in its narrow sense, gospel in its narrow sense. Let's talk a little bit more about each. Then repentance in the narrow sense. I don't know that Jesus has. I mean, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Again, this is a is very short, concise sermon. Where is the law being preached here? That's going to bring to repentance? Or is that something that then Mark's going to draw out for us as the gospel continues? Uh, I'm going to preach a sermon this short Sunday, and I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, there you go. So repent and believe in the gospel is, is then to, to hold to, uh, well, reality, the teachings of John, because this is the same message as our Lord would pick up, because we, we, we grabbed hold of this at the beginning. Jesus is continuing the same proclamation of law and gospel that, that John the Baptist was proclaiming, the same proclamation of law and gospel that, that you and I have. Uh, when Jesus says repent, uh, it's not just sort of dig up your own, uh, how are things going, but hold to light God's Ten Commandments, God's Decalogue, and, and recognize that uh, the things that you think, do, and say are, are tainted by sin, that, that there are those things that, that uh, you have done that you should not have done, and there's things that you have failed to do that you should have done. You're a sinner who needs Jesus. Uh, To repent is not simply sort of like to work yourself into an emotional fervor of being sad or sorry. It's simply to to look into uh, God's law, which expresses how things are supposed to be, and rejoice to say, this isn't going well. Uh, You can actually rejoice to say these these things aren't going well, uh, not so that you can figure out how to fix them, not so that, that you can sort of uh, just sort of uh, dive into Epicureanism, that, that we should eat and drink and be merry because it's all falling apart anyway, but, but to recognize, I don't need to fix this. My Lord will fix this. He, he will bear the law to its fulfillment. He will be crucified. He will forgive my sins. And my hope is in the, the gospel. That joy in repentance, I'm trying to find it now. In the prayer, there's a prayer of thanksgiving in the service of the sacrament in Divine Service, setting one in Lutheran Service book. It uses this phrase. Oh, where is it? It talks about, with repentant joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. It is, a, it is a, I think, a uniquely Christian thing that we can have repentant joy. How, how strange it may seem to those who are not Christians that we come together on Sunday mornings, and the first thing that we do is we say, I, a poor, miserable sinner. Uh, we we come and and in this repentance, and yet for Christians there is joy because we know the second word that is coming, the word of the gospel, which as you said has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with 
with Jesus. So tell us more then about the gospel that Jesus is talking about. The gospel has to actually address that which has fallen short of the law. And this is again where that joy sort of grabs hold because now I, I don't have to sort of make excuses. Now I don't need to sort of throw blame around as to why things are not okay. I can simply say, these are the things I know my Lord is addressing, has addressed. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The, the gospel, uh, the, the, the addressing of the law in terms of God's work and not my own, is being delivered to sinners. And so here, uh, there, there is a joy in this to, to simply say, these are the things I know my Lord is at hand to help with, to save from. Uh, believe the gospel. That, that means put your trust outside of the law. Uh, put, put your trust in, in that which Christ has done. Uh, it's what hope actually looks like, not as, as sort of a, a, a self-help book marketed under uh, something vaguely Jesus-y, but, but rather a, a recognition that if the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom is ruling, uh, or excuse me, the king is ruling. The king is not sort of uh, delegating his responsibilities to you. Uh, Jesus is the king, but like sort of a shoddy absentee one. But if you do his job for him, maybe someday you'll get something nice from him. No, by no means. Rather, he who has died, is risen, is now at work, still uh, forgiving your sins, granting you hope, life, peace, all of it in Christ. Uh, that which was established in the second article of the creed, uh, that the, the Jesus who came into the world to die and rise, ascend into heaven, that is being delivered to you. In the third article of the creed, in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, uh, we actually know where to look for the gospel because believe in the gospel is not a when word either. It's not a think back to the resurrection um, and say, well, he did it once. Maybe one day he'll come and get me again, or maybe one day at least I'll die and go to heaven. That's nice. Rather, where is God at work now? To believe in the gospel is to believe that God is present and authoritative and ruling in his creation now. And so again, we are directed to the word of God, which is that which uh, empowers the sacraments because it's not special water. It's, it's not special uh barely bread and cheapest wine we can buy in bulk. It is the word of God that is joined to these things that, that produces the sacrament. So it is the word of God added to the water that makes the baptism. It is the word of God added to uh, the bread and the wine to make it his body and blood. And here we are given something to, to trust in, to find hope in, not just someday in the, the vast future, but right now for you. So we can take everything that the law would show is wrong, with everything that, that would, would kill us, everything that we can say is, is sinful. And, and, and we can bring this to God in, in joyful repentance, knowing this is not ours to fix, but I know where to take my problems, my sins, my death, so that he will give me forgiveness, help, life. The one word that we've, and you've, you've used it several times, Pastor Goodman, but we haven't talked specifically about is the word believe, repent and believe in the gospel. And that too, particularly in an American Christian context, requires a bit of a, a correct understanding, some explanation, because that word I think often gets misused. Some some Christians would see faith as a, a choice. I, I've decided to follow Jesus or faith as, as a work that I somehow produce. How should we understand believe in the gospel scripturally? as simply as possible. Uh, in fact, most of the problems that sort of creep into American Christianity come from trying to, to dress up belief uh, as if it were something more because it seems too simple on its own. Belief simply put is to trust. Uh, and my old Adam that wants to contribute uh, is not content with this. And so it will either take uh, my heart and say to believe is to really feel on fire for the Lord or to, to you know, really feel unafraid, in which case uh, the times where I need the Lord the most, he will always feel the farthest from me because I'm sinful and scared. Uh, or or we'll, we'll sort of dress it up with my mind. So to believe is to make an active choice for God or to to understand something or to, to, um, to acknowledge enough uh, information as true. Uh, but the devil himself knows the scriptures better than you, but he doesn't believe. Uh, and if, if scripture uh, was your choice to believe, well, then Paul couldn't use words like uh, you were dead in the trespasses and sins and made alive in Christ because dead people are bad at making choices. Rather, again, just take it as simple as possible. You don't need to add to this. In fact, every time you add to this, it's the problem. To believe is simply to trust. It, it is the, the trust given uh, by, by him who first, before we could ever trust, has has worked to earn it. Uh, children, trust. Uh, I, I know this because uh, I, I, I remember when, when mine were uh, just infants and there were only two people in the world that could make them stop crying, the, the people they trusted most, their, their mom and their dad. To, to believe in the gospel is 
simply to trust. Uh, it, it is it is the, the most base of, of things uh, because we were created to trust. We were created to believe. Uh, Adam was was shaped to to look to God for all good things, to trust him. Uh, it, it's it's as sin entered the world that we always wanted to dress this up and make it more than it is. But but to believe is very simple. It's just to trust. And that trust is strong based not on itself, but upon its object. You can put whatever trust you want in whatever you want. But if the object of faith is no good, then your faith is no good. And we, we always want to have that in mind, too, when it comes to faith. You know, what does Jesus say? Believe in the gospel. Trust the gospel, which doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your works or how well you've repented. It depends entirely upon Jesus and everything he has done. And because that is the object of faith, that is what makes faith such a, a beautiful gift of God. Pastor Goodman, we got about two minutes here on the morning. Help us wrap things up. Give us... In brief, Jesus' short sermon here at the beginning of Mark's gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, that's not two minutes long, but that, that's pretty much it. Uh, but but to, to kind of grab hold of this, again, uh, the festal cry of Christians is not, uh, we believe. It's Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Uh, God is is at hand. God has already conquered death. The time is brought to perfection, to fulfillment. You will not fix this by the law. You will not fix this by your actions, by your heart, by your by your understanding. Rather, look simply to this. Christ is risen from the dead. So our Lord doesn't have to tell us, believe in your belief, believe in yourself, or, or any of the other things that, that sell min- millions of self-help books. Rather, he, he points not to a future time, uh, but, but to now, where his word is being preached and his sacraments administered. He points to the places where he is reigning and ruling to give sinners forgiveness, life, and salvation. Uh, believe that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Pastor Harrison Goodman is the pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In that short sermon, Jesus sums it up. He points us not to a when, but to a where. Where is he? Where is he active and ruling for our good. He is a good king, a gracious king, one who comes not for his own sake, but for the sake of sinners. For those who cannot help themselves, he comes with his help, the greatest help of all, the one who is the suffering servant who follows after John, John who was arrested for his preaching. So Jesus will suffer and die for his preaching. He will suffer and die for you. That is the gospel, the good news that Jesus has earned your salvation for you trust him. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.